This episode is sponsored by Launch Tabletop. Are you thinking of making prototypes, demo copies, or short print runs of your game? Well, Launch Tabletop can help. Their print-on-demand service, Launch Lab, helps you make retail-quality board games at all scales, even just one single copy. Go to launchtabletop.com to find out more, and if you use promo code BGDL20, you'll receive 20% off your first order. So if you want to launch your next game project to the stratosphere with retail quality and no minimums, check out Launch Tabletop today. What's up, my friends, and welcome to the Board Game Design Lab. Today, talking to Rob Davio, one of my favorite designers, one of my favorite people that I've ever interviewed in the past. He came on the show many years ago, and we had an excellent conversation around playtesting. And so I invited him back to chat about, hey, what's different? What's changed? What's the same? Let's let's just do a deep dive into playtesting. Let's talk about basics, you know, for just a new designer coming into the hobby, trying to figure things out. And also, let's, let's dive deep. Let's talk about advanced playtesting techniques. Let's talk about receiving feedback, note-taking, what to look for during a test, what questions to ask afterwards, all the different things that just go along with testing games. If you've been listening to the show for any amount of time at all, really, you, you hopefully know how important playtesting is. In my opinion, it's the most important part of the process of bringing a game to life. And so I just had a lot of fun just picking Rob's brain, just asking all the different things I could come up with as far as like, okay, how do I, how do we become better at playtesting? What does it look like? How do we iterate? What do we change in between tests? All that good stuff. In other news, this episode is sponsored by Ghostfire Gaming, creators of Aberration, an upcoming cooperative tower defense board game of horror and survival. Aberration dares one to four players to enter a world veiled in darkness, and in this perilous hour, you are all that stands between your village and its annihilation. Aberration features bag building, worker placement, and asymmetric player powers, and was designed by Peter Lee, the designer of Lords of Waterdeep and Horrified. Be sure to check out Aberration on GameFound on September 26th. In other news, this episode is sponsored by Crowdfunding Nerds, also known as Next Level Web. This group of crowdfunding specialists has worked on over 100 projects and helped raise nearly $15 million. But the truly amazing part is that most of those campaigns were from first-time creators. They charge flat fees and offer simple monthly pay-as-you-go plans. And the record for funding projects on day one is over 90%. I've personally been working with them for years, and they have been instrumental in helping me raise hundreds of thousands of dollars for my own campaigns. Andrew and his team are honest, hardworking, and reliable, and they have been absolutely phenomenal to work with. So if your game is awesome, but your email list is pitiful, visit crowdfundingnerds.com and fill out a contact form today. And now, please help me welcome Rob Davio. So Rob, really excited to chat with you again. I think the last time you were on the show was 2017. So it's been a minute. You've had a few things going on. You had some really cool games come yeah. out. I think, the, I think the last time we actually chatted like in real life was when Death May Die was coming out, if that gives you any perspective. Yeah, it's on, been a while. It's been a minute. And we've had some really good email exchanges and you've been so gracious to help me with some of my books and answer some questions there. And I really appreciate that. But also before we get into this, I want to just publicly thank you for helping me with this show. And you probably didn't even realize it when it happened because in 2017, when you joined me on the show, it was a turning point uh, for me as a, as a conductor of interviews, you might say. And I don't know what it was, man, but something about that conversation, it kind of, oh, it, it unlocked some things. Like going up until that point, I was very much ask a question, get an answer, ask a question, get an answer. But that conversation with you turned into just deeper. Me being, I don't know, feeling more comfortable to share 
stories and talk about sports and talk about, you know, the different things that make up my life and then apply it to game design. So I don't know, man, I don't know what it was, but I, I want to thank you publicly and let people know that uh, you were yeah, well, a decent chunk of why this show is what it is. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. I, I think it goes to like when someone new does starts with a, um, like a late night talk show or any sort of show where you're interviewing guests, those first hundred or 200 things are very much ask a question, get an answer. And it takes a while before you start realizing, oh, this can go in different directions than where I expected it. So whether I had anything to do with that or I was the right person at the right time, uh, I'll just take the credit. That's exactly. Either way, yeah. I appreciate hey, it. Thank you. I'm great. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm excited to chat with you again. We're talking about playtesting. We're just going to do a deep dive into the different avenues, different things, different things to think about based on the kind of game you're you're trying to bring to life based on the maybe where it is in its development based on where where you're playtesting are we is it real life is it digital is it uh, unguided or guided that kind of thing and so i'm just excited to chat with you about all those things and let's start off with the basics okay. somebody's just now getting into game design they're just trying to figure out okay what is playtesting like how do i do that whatever what would be your advice to them to really get going almost like a just surface level how do i do this effectively and then we can go deeper from there uh, yeah, well, first advice is playtesting sucks, and you need to get used to that. And I've used this analogy before, but it's whole tr you know, you, you come up with a game idea, and you're all excited. And chances are, if you're a newer game designer, you spend a lot of time making a perfect game. You have rules for second tie breaks at the end and all these things, and it's precious, and you keep it to yourself. And then you invite people to play it, and stuff doesn't work. Stuff's not going to work, and it, it just, it hurts. Like I said, it's like... um inviting over uh, strangers on your kid's first day of kindergarten to evaluate their outfit and what do they think of your kid like i don't like the hat i wouldn't go with blue and then other people are like are you sure you ever wanted a kid how about a dog like it's just this type of thing you're like i worked hard on this um so that feeling never goes away uh, especially when it's strangers especially when you've worked on it for a while so you trick is to learn to distance yourself a little bit from it i like to think of it as um they're evaluating some other game that I happen to be watching, not a game that I spend time on. So just try to get a little removed. Now, maybe they're, I'm just a, a little fragile being, um, you know, and other people handle it better, but I don't think so from what I've heard. I don't know that anyone creative handles it perfectly. I mean, I've met people that do handle it kind of okay, allegedly. Like, I don't know what's going on internally, but like at least externally they're okay. But I feel like anyone who has the creative mindset probably also has some imposter syndrome. They probably have these deep seated inner insecurities, which is probably where creativity maybe manifests, right? So it's like a lot of these things intersecting with each other. And I feel like a lot of times that criticism kind of, it calls into your deeper soul, <laughs> which is why it hurts because like people are maybe affirming kind of the negative things you already thought. And you're like, Oh no. <laughs> yeah. I mean a little bit, I don't have much imposter syndrome. Finally. I, I still don't get my success sometimes. I'm like, I, I do what I do and people seem to like it. I don't, you know, I see other games. I'm like, I like those better. Like what, you know, like, but it's not imposter syndrome. I just learned to like, okay, that's, that's reality of things. And if I keep doing what I'm doing, it should be mostly good for many people. Um, it's that you're, every time I start a game, there's two feelings I have. One is maybe I get it on the first try and, oh, can I do this again? Cause it's hard. Right. And so there's these things that are 
competing with each other. Like it's going to be hard, but maybe this time I just do it and just nail it. How often does that happen? And that uh, never, it never happens, <laughs> but you have to go into it thinking it because it's a long road to have a good game. And if you walk in going, Ooh, I can't wait to spend the next two years improving this. That's daunting. So you always have this little optimistic feel that maybe this one will be faster. I'll get it right. Or I'm really excited. Um, and then playtesting just confirms that no, it probably isn't going to happen quickly. It's going to take the usual work it takes to make something good. Um, and, and it's necessary. Uh, I think one of the things going way back to the, your question, because I have a tendency to just grab the reins of an interview and answer what I want. Um, I think a tendency is to take uh, when you're a new designers to take too long designing the game before you test it and letting the play test go too long. Uh, I like to say that early play tests, I call them workshops, right? We're going to workshop a game. You play a couple turns, like go back, let's start again. You start here, you do this, grab an extra card, go. Okay. You did what, okay, what, what, what are you doing over here? You know, like, okay, so let's change this and let's do that. And it, it's very disconcerting to players sometimes because they're having to keep track of the games. So I just want those first handful of turns to make sense. Or I'll be like, okay, you know what? Everyone's going to forget this whole thing about this market that I said on your, just draw a card or just take three money or whatever, you know, I'm trying to test. So it's, it's really trying to figure out what people are resonating with. And then as the game comes into focus, it's a lot more of, uh, at restoration, we talk about, we did it. The, the plane took off, it flew and it landed. There was turbulence. It was a rough landing. People spilled their drinks, but it did it. And that's like a big milestone for us, but that doesn't happen often until about halfway through the design and development process. And I think that new designers, and I've seen people do this uh, when I taught, I'd walk by and be like, is this game working? They're like, oh no, it's completely broken. I'm like, why are you still playing? They're like they're not done. I'm like, are you going to get any more useful data out of this? They're like, no. I'm like, please stop and talk about what's not working. You know, play the first half three times rather than a broken game. Yeah, I love that. And that's actually something I think I got from you years ago with just giving your playtesters permission to say, I'm done. Like to be able to raise their hand or just to ask them at periodic you know, yeah. moments and go, hey, do you want to keep playing? And if you say no, that's totally fine. I've got what I need. And to not burn out these people who are doing you a massive favor, unless you're paying them some substantial amount of money, like they're doing you a huge service. And so to not uh, ruin their experience or, or waste their time. Yeah. And I do say that to people. I'll say like, okay, I've got what I need out of this. Uh, you can keep playing. You can stop. And sometimes we're like, oh, let's keep playing a little bit. And then they realize, oh, wait, no, this isn't working. Usually it peters out or something. And you can read body language more so in person than online. And you say like, hey, uh, how's this going? You guys seem a little frustrated now. And they're like, this isn't fun. I'm like, okay, great. Just take it away. Yeah, definitely. At what point do you start playtesting a game with other people? Like, do you do you play it by yourself and just do multi, you know, playing all the turns or like when? Tell me about that. Like, you've got a game. Are you testing it alone or do you just go right into bringing other people on board? Well, I've been doing a lot more with um, my company, Restoration Games. I like to stall my company. It's one of the owners um, where we have design meetings a couple times a week. So more and more I'm playing with people. Let's, let's just try this thing where I give them homework and then well, let's try the thing you did. And there are these workshops. So it's more playing it with other members of the team, which is not quite the same as playtesting. But I would not put a game in front of a playtester until I had put it on the table. If it's just me and walked around and Red's always the aggressive player. 
and green is how I would play because I play green and blue is the the cautious player and then I pick like yellow or something or no yellow is a cautious because they're cowardice and blue is just the agent of cast they're not paying attention so they'll make weird moves and so I, I literally have to walk around the table from okay it's red red's aggressive okay so they would do this then or they would throw caution to the wind and I just try to see if the pieces are working and I probably play a turn start over play a turn now start over and just keep going like that until I feel I've got something. Yeah, that's a really cool way to do it. Because, like, I know personally what I would have, and I do a little bit more of that that you're talking about now, where you kind of assign, okay, this is this type of player. Because for a long time, I would test things by myself, but it would be me playing all the players. Like, it's just like how I would do it. But then that's not reality. Because then you get in a, a real situation, and people play totally different. They have different styles. They have different things they want out of an experience. And then also, if, if I'm just playing it like me, then I'm not pushing systems to their limits. I'm not playing one action every single turn just to see what happens because I'm, I'm playing, you know, as the designer of the game. And so I think that's a really cool takeaway is assign each color a different personality and then see what happens because that's a little bit more realistic. Yeah, and you can see things like, you know, you want player interaction at some level, but it like, man, this aggressive player is really ruining everyone else's game it's not an inconvenience it's like i can't play because of what you're doing so I'm like oh i i'm not usually a take that sort of player so i wouldn't push that system so i may not have found it unless i put on that hat yeah it makes a lot of sense all right let's talk about the difference between like the early play testing because I, I feel like play testing mm -hmm. is like the the purifying fire that every creative work has to go through. And the thing yeah. about fire, it's going to burn and it's going to hurt and you're going to need some salve, you know, to rub on the wounds and stuff like that. But tell me about like what changes between, we'll call it the first, but like the early place testing and then like the next set of play tests. So maybe you do a couple and you're like, okay, this is broken, whatever. But tell me about that difference because I've seen games that are wildly different. Like the first play test, it's a different game almost going into the second. And so is that something that, that you do as well? You're like you find in playtest, you're like, okay, the second set of playtests is a whole new experience. I don't know. You can't understand what I'm saying. Like how, how much does a game change between? If I'm doing well, it changes where it needs to change. Like I might walk into a playtest and be like, this game is about X. And, and I threw Y in because I needed something. And then everyone loves Y. And if we go, okay, maybe the game is Y and X goes away. Um, and that's hard to do. You're like, but I wanted to design this game. It's like, well, guess what? You still can't just put that to the side. You get something people are excited about design a new game based on what you thought was a secondary idea. Um, I'm trying to get better about just not holding on to things. And that was one thing 10 years ago, 10, 15 years ago, I'd be like, no, 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 this is important. And now I step back, go, okay, why is it important? Is it just important to me? Is it important to the players? Um, another thing I've done when Eric Lang and I were designing Death May Die, I would come up with some really cool idea. Convoluted, sure to make other game designers excited. And he would literally, because we'd be working remotely, would pat me on the head. Go, you're a very clever board game designer. You can tell that story now to other game designers. Let's make something for the players that want, you know, that they want to play. And uh, besides humiliating, it was also funny, and it really kind of changed the way that I focus because I have something clever and I go, oh, okay, yay, I can still think of clever things, but that's not anything anyone would want to play. That's just me proving I can think of a clever idea. Um, 
so games can and I think should change a lot. And what I'm constantly looking for is where's the fun, and when does the fun I'll uh, I'll say it's welcome. Another question I ask in playtesting, or even playing a new game for the first time, is I say, uh, how much of this game does it feel like you're done? Half, sixty percent, a quarter? And if people are like, I don't know, I feel like this is. 60, 80% done. And in my head, I'm like, oh, you're 25% done. Then I know I have a good game. I just have too much of it. It wants to be shorter. So there's all sorts of questions like that that I ask. But yeah, the next time it comes to the table, it should be significant, especially if it's the first time, the second time, it should be pretty different. People are like, well, let's just make this three or four on this card. That's, That's at the end. Yeah. And I think this also harkens back to something you said a minute ago with the speed at which you go through the design process and get it on the table to, to play test. Because if you, if you take six months or a year designing quote unquote the game before you ever test it, you're kind of pot committed. Like you, you, you put a lot of effort into this thing. And so you're maybe going to be a lot more reluctant to change things that need to be changed. And so the faster you get it on the table and tested, the less you're going to, hopefully the less you're going to be holding on to it with a closed fist. Like hopefully you come in there open-handed and you're like, okay, what's good about this? What's bad? Let's, let's, like you're saying, let's find the fun and then lean into that versus, no, this has to be the experience because I can't lose a year. <laughs> I can't lose eight months of what I've been doing. Yeah, and that's the thing is you get emotionally invested and you can hold on to all sorts of things that you don't want to change. Um, your game shouldn't look ugly, right? You should be able to read numbers and read words and things like that. But once you start downloading pictures and adding frames to cards and designing the board and stuff like that then you're like i don't want to redo all of that uh so you know and then the counterpoint is sometimes you need it to show what the game's going to be because you know picture this elaborate map in here and then players are like i can't see it and then they don't have fun because there's not enough there so it's a balancing act between putting just enough in that players understand where you're going but not so much in that when it inevitably needs to change you're not like oh that took me like a week like four hours a day I don't want to redo that because then you're not, you're like, I should, but I'm well, maybe I can fix it another way. Yeah. So speaking of that kind of quick change iteration process, do you use any digital tools, uh, component studio or Nandek, or there's some I've seen out there that makes it, you know, a lot easier to make cards and things like that online. You print them off. Do you, do you do any of that? Uh, yeah, I use the Adobe suite, mostly illustrator and InDesign and InDesign has a data merge function make cards yeah data merge Um, changed my life dude like it made everything so much easier if you don't know what data merge is basically you can set up almost a spreadsheet and it makes it so easy to update numbers and names and abilities and everything and then you just kind of you let it run and it like populates all the things for you and so man that sped up my process so much that is great it's a little fiddly and you need to get a subscription to adobe but it helps me to look at i got a second monitor over here that's why i'm gonna do uh to look at like a spreadsheet and be like, okay, I have four cards that do this, and I can have notes and things that don't get imported, rather than looking at a sheet of cards or a deck of cards. Although sometimes that's handy too to see what they're going to look like. And then I'm like, okay, and then you know, bring them into the card deck, print them out, and then you know, good to go. Uh, Illust- I'll just design game boards and non-data merge things in Illustrator because I know it better. Um, sometimes I just take a piece of paper and draw on it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Just as well, and then. Um, Another thing is to to feel free to take a piece of paper and draw on it in a playtest. Like that's one thing that opened up. Like I don't, oh yeah. I don't like I'm not locked into this. 
And so if I see players not having fun and I think I have a way to maybe flip the fun real quick, like, like you were saying earlier, okay, we're not going to do this open market. We're going to make it this other thing instead to just do that. And to go, and as long as playtesters know going in, Hey, I might totally flip the script on you and we're okay with that. Right. And so that's something I, I learned as well. So talk about that a little bit about just that confidence to feel free to, to make it a different game. Yeah, that's that's why I call them workshops to people. Like, it's going to be somewhere between a playtest and a workshop. We're going to try a few things. I try to set it up. And then, and I like to tell people, like, please try to win, but you're not going to win the playtest. You're going to win the playtest by helping me. So I'm going to change things. If you come up with a killer strategy that's kind of broken, I'm going to, I'm going to take it away from you. You've won. You've shown me that it's broken. And then you might lose the game if we finish, but that's okay. And some people don't. Like that, like, oh, I was winning, and then you changed the game on me. And I'm like, you were winning. You won the play test by breaking it. Um, yeah, and I, I think by setting up the framing of it, it helps people. But it's hard to do. We were play testing something for restoration a week ago, and it wasn't just a design team. There was a new member of our operations team, and then our marketing person was in, and we'd play. And i go, okay, go back to start. Let's do this. Okay, I don't like that. That's a four now. Okay, and they were like, ah, ah, like, you know, it's hard enough to learn a game, but to learn a game that's constantly changing was like a little tough. But yeah, draw on things. I've taken cards. People are like, this card is great. This card is broken. I'm like, you're right. I take it and I give them another card. And they're like, oh. So what you're saying is if I'm playtesting for you, don't reveal anything. I should not say a word if I want to win the playtest. I should... Win the playtest. It's a joke we have at Restoration. It's like, congratulations, you, you've you won the play. Like, we'll be five turns away from the end. And I'm like, okay, I've seen enough. I want to be able to, like, spend the last 20 minutes of the meeting talking about it. And so I'll be like, oh, I was going to win. I'm like, you won the playtest. Congratulations. You won this game that's going to drastically gonna, change. And now we're going to... Yeah, now we're going to throw away 40% of the game. <laughs> oh, that's awesome. So let's talk about compensation as far as, you know, if, if they work in your company, it's a little different because you're probably paying them bi-weekly anyway, and maybe they get some benefits. Like there's already that compensation built in. But if you're just right. testing at a convention or people come over to your house, what are some ways that you found that people really resonate with? Because, I mean, what I found is a lot of people don't, like, they don't want me to give them $20. They don't want, like, money. They, they want other things. And so what are some ways, you know, money is a great way to compensate, obviously, but what are some things in general that you've used that you found work really well to say, Hey, thanks for playtesting my game. Uh, first of all, I just want to acknowledge that you just said that money is a good compensation for work. I think that was, I think that's going to catch on. <laughs> um, We're going to change the world here, man. I know it's a new, <laughs> it's a, fresh it's a new, new political movement I'm starting. So, I, yeah. Um, it's true. They're, they're games don't make enough money. Like if I was paying everyone money to the number of hours of testing, unless I had a runaway success, I'd quickly be eating into the, the profits that I have. Um, gratitude is nice. Credit in a rule book for extensive play testing. If someone play like 30 minutes at a convention of an early prototype, I'm probably not going to give them credit. But if they play a whole bunch of versions and really give some insights, if they're coming to my house, they're going to be well fed. They're going to be fed, whether it's just taken or I'm a cook by hobby. So I'm like, I'm going to make you dinner. You're going to get a nice steak dinner. I got a bottle of wine. We're going to, and then I'm going to take two hours of your time to play a game that sucks. <laughs> feed them first or feed them after? Feed them first hmm. or during. There you go. Play a little Maybe. bit. Let's have some food. Take a break. I'll think about it while I'm cooking. Then we'll come back. We'll play again with some new ideas. Yeah. Maybe some dessert on the end. Yeah. And then some, yeah. Exactly. So I, for me, it's it's genuine gratitude, credit, 
copy of the game sometimes um take games that are on my hey i don't need these games anymore i don't play them you know please take them food all sorts of the things that i do yeah that's that's something i found as well also it's kind of interesting i've also run into situations where people who especially one guy in particular who have play tested games especially if it's a game that's like a system, like you had that unmatched system where mm -hmm. the sky is the limit, right? I've had playtesters come back to me and say, hey, I've got an idea. And they've almost created a new game in the series. And they're like, hey, because they playtest it so much, they get locked in. Now they're seeing it not only as a gamer, but they're seeing it from the design level. They're seeing how it changes. They're seeing the different opportunities and things you can do and change. And then it's like, oh, that's a great idea. Yeah, let's co-design that. Let's work on that. And then yeah. so I've, I've gotten other games out of it. And so have you had that happen like with Unmatched or any of your other games? Well, Unmatched Adventures, which is coming out later this month, a couple weeks, sometime soon. I'm the front of the train. I can't remember when stuff comes out. Is a cooperative game that came out of some people who really liked Unmatched, and they came up with a cooperative play way to play. And they were they were play testers and fans and in, in our Discord, and they approached some members of the design team and said, "We want to pitch you a new Unmatched game." And we're like, "Okay." And I sort of got a meeting invite and I didn't know what it was. It was like the name on the meeting invite was odd. I forget what, like it was. And then I started playing, uh, watching on TTS and I'm like, oh, this is a co-op. Why didn't we think of a co-op? Oh, this is pretty cool. Yeah, I want to buy this. Right? Yeah. So that's that's another potential opportunity. Um, let's go. So anything else you want to say as far as like service level, people just getting into the hobby, just getting into game design, kind of basic level, and then we'll dive maybe a little deeper in just a second um not really they're they're other than luck or some inane insane amount of talent that is rare to come by it just takes time and hard work there's no secret you'll learn your own ways to play tests that work for you things things to avoid are easier than things to do right like things to avoid are telling people they're playing it wrong no, it's it's a good game. You're just not seeing what I'm trying to do here, right? That's a pretty common one. Like, it's not or, the game; it's you. <laughs> yeah, uh, if you just played better, you would find it fun. <laughs> That's right. Uh, it gets good in the second hour. <laughs> it's what everybody wants, whether they're watching yeah. Netflix series or movie or something yeah. like that. Just just so, give it another hour. <laughs> well, because people get emotionally invested, they're like they want it to be good. They think it's good. You have to go in and be like, you thought it was good. You, you tried. Now listen to what's there. Now, you you can have the wrong playtesting group, right? If people are like, uh, we mostly play, you know, exploding kittens, and then we play some games with the kids, and you're like, oh, hey, I got a three-hour sort of deck-building worker placement game with, like, variable scoring, and, like, I, I threw the first two expansions into just so I could, like, it's not going to go well. The game might be fine. You have the wrong audience. So make sure that the people are the right people who are, would potentially buy the game before you start playtesting. Or at least um, have them say like, oh, I don't usually do co-ops. I'll play it, but I don't usually like it. And you've got a co-op game. Then know that they're going to be like, yeah, I still don't like co-ops. That's not your game. So, but, but the thing is, try not to make it personal and try not to become antagonistic with them because you're feeling like I worked hard on this, like it. And then you start like saying like you, you played wrong and you keep forgetting this cool rule and that that's not helping anyone. 
Yeah, 100%. And this actually reminds me of something I heard Mike Tyson say, you know, the famous heavyweight champion of the world in mm-hmm. boxing. And he said, because somebody asked him about like all the negative stuff people say about him online. And, and like, it, if you're a celebrity of any status, you're going to have people who hate you, people who love you. That's just the way it goes. And so online, that can get kind of crazy sometimes. And I asked him, I was like, how do you deal with people saying negative things about you online? And he says, well, when I think I'm somebody, it bothers me. But when I remember I'm nobody, I don't worry about it. And I was like, oh, man, what an interesting mind shift to just to look at negative feedback, negative anything and go, man, I want to get upset about this. But you know what? Especially in this context. But you know what? This game, it's a it's a nobody. Uh, it's not there yet. I'm not going to take this yeah. personal because like this is playtest number three. <laughs> it's going to take 100 plus more of these and to not get offended because like why? It's not going to help anybody to to get antagonistic, to get offended by it. And so just to kind of yeah. flip your brain. Or if you're going to do it, just stop the play test. Just say, hey, this isn't going well. It's a little hard for me to watch because I thought I had it this time, but clearly I don't. Let, let's just stop it before it starts. You know, I have enough to realize it's not working. A- at this point, it's just too much. Like, just be honest with people. And then you can be upset or you can take a walk or you can spend a couple of days and be like, oh, are you? and then you deep breath and be like, okay, if this game was given to me and someone said, fix it, what would I do? It's not my game. I didn't spend months on it. Someone just walked in the door and said, hey, there was a play test that didn't go well. What do I do next? You would approach it with fresh eyes. Like, do that to your own work. Yeah. It reminds me also of what Eric Lang, I heard him say one time. Sometimes he'll sit down at a play test, especially at a convention or something like that, and he'll say, hey, I've got a, a game that a friend of mine is working on, and do y'all mind play testing it, and I can give him some feedback when it's his game, right? But it gives yeah. players that kind of, openness to, to maybe be a little harsher on it because they don't think the designer sitting at the table. So you might get a little more honest and critical feedback, which can be super helpful. But I think also flipping your brain, like you are saying earlier, and it's like, I'm just helping a friend and to detach yourself from it can also mm-hmm. be helpful as a designer. And so, yeah, anything you can do to, I heard a phrase a while back and it's, you can't read the label from inside the bottle. And so just realize as a designer of a game, you're inside the bottle. And so what can you do to find ways to get out? Right, whether you have a really good playtesting group that's going to tell you the honest truth, or whether you can kind of detach and, and find a way to see things with new eyes and fresh eyes and come back to it, you know. But anything you can do to kind of see reality as it is versus how you really wish it was is super helpful. Yeah, and boy, I, the more we talk, the more I realize there's these little things that I do, which is, I think my tendency early on was I'm going to make a game. It's going to be a complete game. It's going to have rules, and I'll give it to people, and they'll read the rules, and I'll play it. You know, play it, and I'll watch. First of all, I'm, I'm a bad guy at shutting up when people play, so I've had to learn that, or just have them video themselves, or some other tricks. But the way I look at it now is, I'm going to put pieces of a game down, and I'll sit down like this is not a rules test. I'm going to explain how to play, and if you forget, just ask me, or I may remind you. And then if I change something, like I'll change it in the middle, and then I start getting to the, I'm going to explain the rules. But here are the printed rules. So if you forget something, check those. See if it's in there. And if it's not in there, I've forgotten. Then I will tell you to eventually, I'd like you to read the rules. We're going to play test tomorrow. And then you teach it while with me there to, I'm going to mail it to someone and have them video the whole thing. Like I start removing myself from the process. It starts standing on its own two legs right, as it goes. Yeah, this is something you talked about a while back when you came on the show you know, several years ago was how you were getting into filming the test. And then you're almost just going back and watching the film and seeing where players made rules mistakes or seeing where the body language changed or seeing, you know, you can 
pick up on things when you're watching film that you maybe you wouldn't even notice if you were sitting in in the room because you can only look at one thing at a time versus the film you go back and all right this time i'm going to watch this player all right now i'm going to watch that like you can kind of focus on things and i think that's a really cool way to do it and i also remember uh if i remember correctly at hasbro y'all would set up play tests and then watch people from behind glass that they couldn't like the mirrored glass oh, right those are, those are <laughs> painful yeah do they still do that i mean only because it was a, it was a kid's game and so we're all like middle age well, i wasn't middle age and i was in my 30s you know game designers who are doing magic drafts in the basement and you know doing all these complicated things and we'd watch like a family try to play with a six-year-old and we want to be like it's so easy why are you confused right that's not understanding your audience and and things like that but yeah i i got the video trick from matt leacock he did it we did it on pandemic all of the pandemic legacies but starting with season one and watching the video and it's because he can't shut up either or he's better at it now. He can sit there and just write in a notebook and not say anything. But at the beginning, he couldn't. So he had to learn to for him to not be there. And so that's what we did. And it, it you know, it worked out. And uh, I, I use it on some stuff. I don't use it on others. How do you know when to use it or not? It depends if you're looking for qualitative or quantitative data. Okay. So we have our unmatched line. Any deck fights any deck. We want to know. Who won? Who lost? How many rounds did it take? What was the most powerful card? How many hit points did this person have left? What other questions we ask? Oh, if you lost, do you with the playtest character? Do you think you could win the next game? That was a big one because sometimes people are like, I have no idea. Like I don't know how. And other people are like, Yeah, I played it wrong. So if we see like mm, this character is only coming in at forty percent, we we look for forty to sixty percent because the sample sizes are so small in the variants. But it's like they're forty percent. Oh, let's look at. Yeah, most people feel like they could win next time. And they were, the person who beat them only had like two or three health when they died, which means those games could have gone the other way, you know, and so that's probably within the bounds. So you're looking for patterns that emerge from the data, but even within then we say, are there any things you didn't understand or any comments on the character? And I in particular will look at those as much as the numbers. Other members of my team will make pivot tables and crunch numbers and look at variations in the mean and all these sorts of things. And I'll be like, I see a lot of people saying it's not fun. Right. And they're like, well, it's coming in at 50%. I'm like, but it's not fun. Right. And so you have to kind of look at those things. Now where I will do qualitative game data is with a legacy game. You can't get a hundred groups to play like 12 games of a legacy game and get any meaningful data. So that's when you get the group to video it and you watch you still get enough groups that you can get some cross data. It's like, okay, this card was a problem in all three playtests, So that's a problem. But mostly you just look at where are people understanding? How are they putting stickers book? Are they delighted when they open something? Are the games going too long? And you look for sort of these subtle trends between things. But yeah, if you're doing a living card game, you need more data. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense, especially like you're saying, if you have a story based game and you you want a, a key moment to be surprising, like that's really good to have that video of the group and like, OK, were they surprised or were they like, eh, eh, eh that was it. OK, right, did they call it ahead of time? <laughs> mm, yeah. Did they have a better idea? Were they right. like, oh, you know what's going to be in here when we open this? It's going to be X. And you're like, oh, X is better. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, it should be X. Yep. Right. And they open it and they're like, it's pretty cool. And they forget they said it. And then you mm -hmm. might say like, hey, you mentioned this thing. We're going to switch. Is that OK? They're like, I don't remember saying that. 
<laughs> yep, absolutely. Okay, so these are more advanced techniques. Anything else that you're doing or that you've seen work that are, are kind of like that next level? Like this, you know, filming playtests might be a little much if, if this is your kind of newbie getting into this thing. But, you know, anything else that you would say is like a deeper dive once you kind of have figured out your system and the way that you like to take in data and like once you kind of established your process, anything else is like on the deeper level. No, it's really just being okay of watching a test and saying, okay, I've seen enough. Um, because what you're looking for is, and it's hard. It's just, my brain just works this way after 25 years. And I was playing a game yesterday, yesterday with a des design team. And I'm like, okay, I've seen enough. And we stopped. And one person was like, I was having fun. I'm like, it's not bad. And then I pointed out like four or five things and people were like, oh yeah, I guess now that you say that I was missing this. And then they say something and we're just looking for problems. And where it was an interesting test because we're like, mechanically it all works, but I, I, I wasn't engaged. How do you describe engagement? It's like, I didn't feel that what the game was promising me thematically was coming through. It felt like that if you didn't tell me the theme, I'd be struggling to find it. And I'm a theme guy. And I'm like, I want, and you know, it felt too safe. It was an extension of another game we have at Restoration. I'm being vague on purpose. And I'm like, it feels like very much like the other, like another game. It feels like the parent game. It's too much. You didn't give me anything new. I'd rather you present something to me and I go, that's insane. I don't, how is that going to work? That's not going to work, but I got excited. And then I want to figure out how to make it work. Like everything worked, but I, it was, so we just went back to the people who we had working on it. We said, can you just redo this and scare us? Show us something too much, too weird, too big. And, you know, we, yeah, that, those are hard. That take, that's the stuff that comes with experience because you're, um, another line I say, and I may have said on your show, cause I've said it before is, um, when we start arguing about numbers, we're almost done because they know how to win. They know what to do on a turn. They're engaged. And now they're like, Ooh, is that a three or is that a four or a five? Or should the market be four cards or five cards based on the size of the deck and how many should be, I'm like, we're in good shape when we're talking about this, not should it have a market? What does a card do? Why is the game six hours long? Like those are all settled. Now we're just making, you know, we're staying within these parameters. So once you start, if you're talking about numbers at the beginning, you're either deluding yourself that you don't have deeper problems or you're brilliant or you're almost done. Yeah, that's a really good point. It's just understanding where in the process you are just based on the conversations that you're having. Because I think one, yeah. one question a lot of people have in general is like, how many times should I play test a game? And it's like, as many as it takes? Like, I don't know. There's not a magical number. There's like a hundred. Like, no. Yeah, I've never. It depends. Is it a three minute card game? You can play it a hundred times. But assuming that the game takes an hour to play, I don't know, you're going to be maybe a few dozen play tests internally and externally. I mean, you're going to need more data than that. It may be longer if you're if you're not getting it right away. Maybe less if it's something that you know you got pretty good at, or it's based on something you know how to work with. But there's you know, I just. Uh, finished up a game with a co-designer. I'm like, I think we're done, right? We're like, anything else we do is just going to move it around. Like it's got its little problems, but we're going to fix these problems and create other problems or group A will like it better now, but group B will like it worse. Like we're just the there's diminishing returns and you go, yeah, at this point, I'd rather go do something new than try to get the last 
1% of this because you'll never get there. Yeah, that's a good point. It reminds me of something, I think. And I can't remember if you said it or Matt Leacock, but it's like when you're 80% done, you realize you've got 80% left to go as well. Yeah, that was, uh, we probably both said it because <laughs> I uh, I think we were working on Pandemic Legacy 2. Mm -hmm. And I said, Matt, I go, I don't know, it's coming together. I feel like we're you know 80% done. And he said, yeah, the next 80% will be the hard part though. <laughs> And probably take and, just as long as the first, you know, first part. Yeah, the last twenty percent is just as long. And I got yeah. what he said. I'm like, yeah, yeah. And I've told either he says it or I say it that he told it to me. So we probably both told the story. Yeah, and I think that's so important for new designers, especially, to realize that even someone who's been doing this twenty five years, even someone who has tons of games on the market that do really well in retail, that are ranked really highly on BGG, like even still, it takes a long time. There's no substitute testing there's no substitute for just getting the reps in no substitute for the work there's no short, shortcuts really it's just a matter of, of putting the time and the effort in yeah i think the shortcuts that i can take is i can probably see the problems a little faster and if i'm not doing too many things at once like if i'm just focused on a game i can see them faster i can ask maybe better questions i'm more willing to throw stuff away and i can iterate faster but it's the same amount of work. It's just less like playing guitar. I'm not looking at the chords anymore, right? I'm just doing it faster just from experience, but it's the same process. And then the other thing is you're like, okay, this is another thing people like to do is I, I play version five and it doesn't work. So I make version six, so it still has problems. I make version seven and now I realize somehow it got worse. Most people will be like, well, I got to go back to version six, but you might have to go back to version five. You're like, why do I have problems here? Why did this get worse? And you're like, well, the market doesn't work anymore. It's like, why doesn't it work? It was working great. It's like, well, we changed it because of, we had a problem over here with the tile laying. And you're like, oh, so we tried to fix the tile laying with the market. And we made the market worse. So we need to go put the market back, go back to the tile laying problem and find a different solution for that. So you need to be able to just not only throw away the work you've done, but sometimes like the one, two or three iterations where you're like, this was the wrong direction, pull it back. Let's go here. And that that's hard. Yeah. It's kind of like, um, if you're going to clean your house, a lot of times it has to get dirtier. Like you have to pull everything out of your closet yeah, in order to put it all back organized. And so there's like a, a certain part of the process. You're like, wow, this is way worse than I started, but that's the only way to get to that organized finished product. And it reminds me of a, a quote from C.S. Lewis who said, the long way around is the short way home. Like you just, you just got to go the long way to get where you're trying to go. And if you try to take a shortcut, it's not even, it's not even going to work out. And, mm -hmm. and so I think it's something. Yeah. I, I, I use a slightly different analogy with restoration. Like some other members seem like, Hey, can we play test this thing you guys are talking about? I'm like, we've kind of taken the whole car apart and it's on the lawn in pieces. Like we, it's, this is not a time, like we know we had a problem, but we had to take the whole thing apart and we're looking at it and then we got to put it back together and see if we can make it work now. Like give us a week or two. Yeah. And so that makes me wonder, what are the notes you're taking? If I remember correctly, I think on the last, last time you were here, you talked about how make sure when you're watching a play test, when you're taking in notes and figuring things out, taking in feedback, that you write down the problem not just the solution. Because sometimes we have a tendency to go, oh, I know how to fix that. And you write down how to fix it. But then that turns out to not be a way to fix it. But then you can't remember what the problem was to begin with because you didn't write that down. You haven't seen, and you haven't you know, worked on the game in two or three weeks. And it's like, wait, what was that? And so to write down the problem among any solutions that you have, but what, mm -hmm. what else? What are yeah. notes? What are you looking at? And then writing down in your, your notebook. Uh, well, that's what I do certainly when I'm working with Matt because he taught me that and he's very diligent and I don't want him to yell at me. 
And uh, I'm a little more from the shooting from the hip when it's just me. Like I see what's wrong. And if I'm going to be the one working on it, I'll write down like two or three things like needs more story. This is bad, too slow, right? Just a couple things that need fixing. When we're in the restoration team is mostly we do a debrief and then I'll be like, you, can you work on this? You, can you work on that? Show them to me. I'll approve them. We'll put them back in. We'll play again on Thursday. So it's just really like, I don't want to try to fix 40 things. I'm like, there's tons of other things wrong. And this may not be replayable. That That's a down the road problem. Right now, I want to look at these four things that we found that we're just fixing those four things. And when those four things are fixed, then we can start looking at the this is too long. What happens in a two-player game? What happens if someone gets eliminated early? You know, I, I just went into, we were talking when we were doing Thunder Road a couple of years ago. These are the questions we asked. And so that's how I was framing it. Would you change a bunch of stuff, play test to play test? Or would you only change like one or two things that way you could pinpoint what the real issues were? I, I try to pinpoint. I try to be like, let's not change everything. And then it still doesn't work. And we don't know why. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, at the beginning, it's like real big stuff. You know, maybe this isn't even cards. Maybe this is dice. Like you're looking at real big sorts of things. But yeah, usually it's like, okay, this wasn't fun. The first turn was really boring. Second turn was okay. So next time let's start on the third turn. I think it has a momentum problem. And let's just double all the numbers on the cards and let's change this one rule, which seems to be the thing that people were forgetting. Like, you don't have to, you know, like, there are other problems. I'm just ignoring them for now. Let's see if it feels closer before we start dealing with the other problems. Yeah, and I think that's another thing new designers maybe get too caught up in of trying to fix everything. It's like, no, just just fix one or two things, right? Go into a, go into the next playtest knowing these other things are still broken. Right. And, and maybe you tell playtesters, maybe you don't, but just kind of have that in the back of your mind. That way you can get the next test to the table as fast as possible to find out the answers. It's kind of like if you're a scientist, you can't just sit around the lab t- pontificating, right? <laughs> Thinking, oh, I wonder this. It's like, no, eventually you have to sit down and do the experiment and find out, get some data and then and then keep going. And so I think that's another thing to, to take away from this. Yeah, I, I, I think the analogy I, I, in my head, it's like building a house. Mm-hmm. Everyone's excited to do the final carpentry and paint the walls and put the couch in because it's the shiny stuff and it's great. And then, you know, the house is done, but I'm like, can we, can we pour a foundation and add plumbing, get ready for electrical stuff? Like, and like, let's just keep doing that. Do we make sure the basement doesn't leak and there's stairs that go in and, and, you know, then we'll start like, we know there's going to be a house. And then you get real excited near the end. You're looking at particular language and, oh, we use the word on a space here and in a space here. And those need to be cleaned up. And you start coming up with all those clever ideas that kind of tie everything together. Like, wait, wait, what if this was also that? And these could be the same thing. And what if this wasn't a thing? What if you weren't buying from a shop? You were buying from a person because people relate to people more than they relate to things. And then they could have, you know, you start doing all those clever bits that tie it together. And those are those are more fun than the like guts of the game in a way. Yeah. At least for me. I think that's for, for a lot of people. Like we get excited yeah. about these little, like you're saying earlier, the things that make you feel clever as a designer, but it's like, yeah, but should it be dice or cards? <laughs> like we need to, we need to figure out the foundations here first, because you know, if you build a house, you can build a house on sand or you can build it on a rock, you know, like which one is, is going to, is going to last longer. Yeah. I mean, I, uh, Suzanne Sheldon, who is our marketing person, we were at Gen Con and we we're out, back in the booth on Sunday and there was a box for 
uh, pipe and drapes. I don't know if you've ever done anything. Oh, yeah. That's the box where you put the pipe up in the drapery. Yep. And she's a big Euro gamer. I go, this sounds like a Euro game, pipe and drapes. And then she's like, oh, I guess. And then I just went into a one-minute pitch. I, I did a whole pitch. She goes, I want to play that. I go, I kind of want to make it. <laughs> but the thing is, all I've thought about is the pitch. And the pitch is all the finishing stuff. Right. And, and I, it then works it's perfectly. Like, and it works perfectly. And it's like, well, what do you do on a turn? I'm like, I don't, I don't know what you do on a turn. Like, and it's like, oh, you're doing this and you're doing that. And, and then I'm like, and I'm like, oh, I, I don't have the guts to this. I just have the pitch. And so it's great and it's exciting. Whether I'll do anything with it at any point, I don't know. And part of me wants to just give it to her. I'm like, here, I made it. But I also know like, ooh, that would take six months of work. So. It doesn't sound as much fun when you put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> But it's the reality. Yeah. So, all right, let's switch gears a little bit. Let's talk about Tabletop Simulator. Something, you know, because of the pandemic, because everybody was remote and online, whatever. I think at this point, the majority of designers are at least familiar with it, or at least aware of it where they weren't five years ago. And so what are you looking at? What notes are you taking when doing an online play test when you can't really see body language? You can't really get the vibe of the room. You can't. You can't know that there was a distraction at the 14 minute mark for Bob because you know, like you don't know that because he's you know not in the same room with you. So what are you looking at? What are you, your takeaways, your notes, any of that kind of stuff? I use TTS a lot at Restoration because all four designers are in different places. We're on the same time zone, I guess we can say. But I don't, after trying it, I don't use TTS for the most part with outside play testers for the reason you said. There's something we talk about inside that there's a TTS text. Oh, yeah. While it does a few things better than the real world, it does many things far worse, including things it shouldn't, like cock dice. Like what do you mean? You're in, like you can roll the dice and they can land on their edge. Oh. <laughs> and you're like, <laughs> or they rest on a deck of cards. You're like, mm -hmm. You've, this is made up. Make them not do that. You know, and then to rotate things, to pick up cards. I'm 53 years old. I'm always like, eh, it's like playing a game with oven mitts on. Right. And I'm better at it now than I was. So we have to look at it and go, man, this game's taking a while. Like, what do we think the TTS tax is on this? Or like pretty high because you're going with different cards and picking them up and we're zooming in and you got to look in and stuff that would be real clean on a table is not clean here. So you have to kind of um, adjust for that. But I tried. I tried to have and we're always on a Zoom call as well. So I can we can be talking and we can be looking and I can see people. And I've done some limited play tests with that. And quite honestly, although the game and the playtest turned out fine, once people realized there was a, a drawing tool in there, the entire game board was covered with graffiti doodles of genitals. <laughs> like, Typical. <laughs> I mean, like, humans don't change. You look at Roman ruins right. and Egyptian ruins, you're like, oh, look, pictures of genitals. Right. <laughs> um, it's like you give people a pencil and that's the first thing they draw tic-tac-toe boards right. or they keep flipping the table or they like flip the yeah they flip the table and then you have to uh -huh. rewind it and stuff like that um right so it causes distraction it's, it's hard to play so i and ultimately we have we have almost gotten in trouble and i know other publishers have gotten in trouble like at some point it has to be on the table and you need to see how big it is and how many these different piles are, and what if there isn't a magic bag that sorts everything for right. you? You have, you have to, to, you have to actually shuffle, you have to actually organize, and you have to actually shuffle. Set so up. Some things get harder, and some things get easier, and right. what does this actually look like when you hold the card in your hand, and you can't shove it up to be 
mm. your whole screen. Yeah. So I use it in those early stages when you're blocking it out. And then at some point I go, I need to print this and play this in the real world or we're going to be in trouble before we get much further. Because if we get to the end and then we print her like, hey, by the way, do you know this is the size of a ping pong table? We're like, oh, but it's done. It's like, no, it's not done. We thought it was done. So um, it's a necessary tool. I, I wish there was something. I'm not a particular fan of the implementation. It has a lot of features that I think no one wants and it's missing features that I think people would want. Um, it's a physics simulator for playtest, but it doesn't really do it because with Fireball Island, we tried to make the island to roll marbles. Like, oh, hey, now we're going to use it as a physics simulator. And it didn't work as a physics simulator when we were trying to do a physics game. Um, and, and so I just wish it didn't have a lot of these things that it, it has with things running into each other and cluttered things and stuff tipping over and you know falling off the board and stuff like that. It just feels like that wasn't needed. Um, but just know if you're playtesting something in TTS, you are playing a second cousin to a board game. Right. And that everything is going to take maybe double the time. Like I've played games that should take, on, take an hour and they take two. It's like, oh, this is interesting. Yeah. The, the time tax in, in TTS is great, except for the things which does really quickly, like shuffle. Right. Right. Like if you're playing a deck builder and, you know, like, mm -hmm. oh, I just add in my cards and I got to shuffle and, you know, it takes a while, but you're just like, okay, shuffle, shuffle, put it in the bag. It's randomized. Do this. Add all, everything comes out face down. Right. Like all those, like some things, it gives you the illusion that it's easy when it's not. And many things that are easy, it somehow makes it seem tedious. So you, it's like, you got to translate it from TTS to the physical space. Yeah. That's a great point. It also brings up the importance of testing your game in its entirety, not just the, the gameplay, right? Testing the rule book. And, and that's one thing I love to do is just hand somebody a rule book and say, teach me this game. And now we're testing that aspect of the experience, right? Cause it's not just the between the numbers not just playing the games it's also setting it up does it take 30 minutes to set up okay well can we speed that up is there something we can do um testing the insert I, I can't tell you how many times i've seen unboxing videos where then they go to put the game back in the box and they're like how does this fit back in there and they're like they can't understand like how the things were wedged in there together and it's like it's almost like trying to, to put something back in the package that's been vacuum sealed it's like, how does, yeah. how does this work? And so like, that's part of the testing. Make sure you're doing that because it's the full product, not just the game by itself. Yeah. Uh, my my title at Hasbro was product designer, not game designer, because it was the box. It was the package. It was everything in. Did it make money? Did it make sense? What did the piece look like? And how did it play? Like at some point, I say like at some point, this game becomes a product and you don't want to be surprised by that. <laughs> Right. You don't want to be exactly. like, this game is great. And it's like, it's got 700 cards and we wanted something for $20 uh -huh. or this theme doesn't work or just to, you know, this only plays with nine players, right? Like at some point it needs to be boxed and needs to be put away and needs to be set up and it needs to have strangers play it and it needs to be sold and it needs to make a profit and all those things. Yeah. Don't get caught by surprise. Now, if you're just designing games because you want to design a game and get better at it, it's for you and your friends, just forget all that. But at some point, if you're like, I would like to sell this to someone, it's a whole different set of thinking. And I was really trained right from the beginning at Hasbro that like, you know, I had to pitch it. I had to have a piece of paper that said, this makes money. I had to do a bill of materials. I needed to know the box size. I needed to talk to marketing to understand the audience. So I can lean into it a little too much, but I rather 
lean into it too much than be completely blindsided by what do you mean this doesn't make money what do you mean i have to take all of it out or you know like all this section or half these cards or the batteries or whatever i put in there yeah that's a great point all right switching gears a little bit i want to ask you about legacy games i saw recently you've got ticket to ride legacy coming out here pretty soon which really goes to show that any game is legacyifiable and so i'm looking forward to uno legacy at some point chess legacy would be pretty cool like i'm 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 hoping that we get I, some I more could just, do both of those i don't know right the world doesn't want them but i think i could do it hey we could at least play test them and yeah. um but let me ask you about like tell me your your process is it different well you mentioned like filming those games especially to see those moments and you know because it's hard to get a bunch of data when you're having to play a game 12 times to get the full experience anything else though that's just different with a legacy game as far as playtesting it is like a fractal version of the playtesting situation because first you have to get a game that works now if it's ticket to ride or pandemic you're kind of good because what you what you do is you say well what do we want to change or tweak to the base game so it feels a little different so that we've set ourselves up to change it so when you open it you go oh hey this isn't exactly ticket to ride like we did here like there's no score track and there's a couple different features on there and you're like oh hey ooh, this plays a little different why you know we wanted a reason um so you need to play that game with all the play testing that you think before you even start going in a different direction. And then when you go in a different direction, now you play like the first four games a couple times. And then you play the first, get a different group to play the first eight games. And then, you know, like what, uh, there's 12, I think in there. So it was like play four, get a couple groups to play, fix those, get the next group to play eight, hopefully one through four are cleaner, but they're not gonna be perfect. But then five through eight are gonna be rough. And then you do one through 12, and one through four should shine now and five through eight might be rough and then, you know, and so forth. And then you, sometimes people like to go back to people who played the early games. They're like, hey, we finished it. Let's play it. And they'll play it again because they, you know, they just got this taste. Like, I wanted to see where it was going. You're like, well, congratulations. It is. Here you go. It went somewhere and you can now do it again. And then they have to kind of forget what they played in the early games or it's worse where they go, wait, is this rule like this? It's like, no, that was last year when we played. Um. So it's kind of fractal in the sense that you have to do everything that you would do to design a game, but then you have to also design a campaign, which is like designing a game where you do a little and then a medium and then a lot and then refine it. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Whenever you're designing a cooperative versus a competitive, what what changes in the playtesting? What feedback are you looking at? Because obviously it's not that much different, but it's different enough where you're, you're going to have to look at different things. So what are some of the things that you're you're noticing that's different? Well, interestingly enough, it is um, the, I don't want to call it the fidelity, the granularity of some of the rules. If you are playing a um, competitive game and there's a rule that's worded poorly or could be argued or could be abused, it is a much bigger deal because people are like, that's not what it means. It's like, yes, but if you do that, you win. I know I've been playing my whole strategy about that and that's why I'm winning, but I don't think it could be read that way. And you, and when you're playing a cooperative game and you're like, should this rule be like this or like that? And you're like, well, this will make it too easy and this seems like a challenge and the group can decide, right? Even if they play it wrong to make it easier, you wanted the harder one and they play it easier and they're having a great time. It's like, good for them. Like that there's some sort of forgiveness now I, I just feel people will come into alignment about the vagaries and the rules with a cooperative game. 
and I also feel on a competitive game, people get deflated earlier, right? You're playing a game, you're like, oh, I'm not going to win this. I still have to keep playing, right? Like, is there a way that, when do people check out? And a lot of times in a cooperative game, again, if they're like, we are not going to win this, and it's almost this esprit de corps of the ship going down together, and they're like, let's try something crazy and see if we can save it. Or they'll just go, let's call this, right? This is just, just not our night. And then that that's fine. And you don't get that in a competitive game. So you have to work a little harder in a competitive game, I think, to keep people engaged the whole time. So there's just, but I don't know how much that affects play testing. It just affects like some of the decisions you make when you're playing it. Do you make it shorter? Do you hide the score? Like, are there rules that are particularly subject to confusion or abuse that you should be looking at a little earlier in the process for a competitive game? Yeah, that makes sense. And I can also see how it would change let's switch gears as we kind of come to a close in this conversation is feedback, right? If I'm testing a competitive game where what's well, kind of natural in a competitive game, especially if there's like interaction where the players can kind of balance themselves. If Bob is all of a sudden way out in front, we all kind of have an agreement that we're going to work together against Bob. So at least Bob doesn't destroy the rest, like give somebody else a chance versus a cooperative yeah. game. It's like, well, we're all in this together. So we're, it's, it's not quite as self balancing from the players. So the game itself has to self-balance in, in different ways. So you're looking at different things in feedback. Yeah, you're looking at different balancing mechanisms, yeah, right? right? Because a lot of the things I thought about with um, some legacy games is like, hey, Bob's way out in front. He's won like four games. We've each won one. Let's ally together. And one of two things happen. Either Bob has a miserable next four games or they don't do that. They go, I don't need to finish the campaign. You got it, Bob. I don't see the need to play like it's four to two to two to zero and I'm zero. And why am I going to keep showing up? Because even if we go against Bob, you guys are too ahead of me. So let's play something else. So you would think they would catch up as like there would be some ganging up on the person. But sometimes people just feel like mm, then they're just having a bad time. Right. And if you look at it, and you're like, OK, I have to go undefeated in the next four games, five games to have a chance at winning. It's like, hmm. Like I said, let's let's do something else. <laughs> yeah, that makes sense. As far as feedback, what are some of the questions you like to ask? What are some of the things maybe you don't ask? Maybe you're, you're you just you found that this is kind of a waste of time to ask these questions or to travel down these roads. What are your thoughts on feedback? I'm not really caught up about different ways to get feedback from people. I've had people be like, "This isn't working. Let me tell you why," and kind of half redesign it, and they're right, and the redesign is good. I've had people who do that and it's horrible and I don't want that at that point. Um, I have people where I say, just play the game. I'll watch. I'll understand. Let me ask a few questions at the end. I don't need anything else. What I don't like when playtesters are like, I wouldn't usually do this move, but I'm playtesting games. So I'm going to try to break it for you. I'm like, don't do that. Just play the game. <laughs> doing you a favor. Like you want me to play. Yeah. Like I'm doing you a favor. I'm going to play really suboptimally or bizarre or like look for, I'm like, don't, don't do just play how you'd play. I want to know how people are going to play, not how they're not going to play. Um, I know some people like don't want suggestions or don't want discussion in the middle or don't want discussion at the end or only want to written. I'm pretty chill. They're taking their time to play something bad. They have the full right to tell me. However, I may say at one point, like, I'm not looking for that right now. Like, I understand that that's a, if you play this again in a couple months, I'll be looking for that. So if you can put it to the side, like, I know it's a problem. You know, the, the wording on the cards is all over the place because they're written by different people at different times. And I'll try to clean that up for the next time. But that's not my issue right now. 
you know, typos, things like that. Yeah. And I guess just being gracious, you know, always thanking people for their time. Thank you for that observation. Thank you for this or that. You know, and just make people feel like they're part of the process. Yeah. Even if you're in the back of your mind, you're like, wow, that was the dumbest idea I've ever heard. But hey, ex- externally, you know, that's something I'll take a look at. I really appreciate you you giving me that feedback. <laughs> yeah. And sometimes I can feel myself going, like getting frustrated. Like, I know, I know, like, it's not what I'm looking, you know, and I'm like, hold on, they're taking their time. But what I'm frustrated is I'm looking for A and they're saying like, I don't like B and C. And I'm like, I'm not, I don't care yet. Right. Not that I don't care ever, but I don't care right now. And I need you to get back to what I need to focus on. And it can be frustrating because how do they know what I'm focusing on? They're just playing a game that's bad. Yeah, exactly. Rob, this has been excellent, man. Anything else you want to add? Any kind of like closing thoughts or any anything you've noticed recently from these? I mean, you've got some cool games coming out, dude. Unmatched Adventure, really excited about that one. Ticket to Ride Legacy. I have no idea how you're pulling that off. And so I'm, I'm just curious to just to see it let, you know, and also play it. Uh, Thunder Road's coming out. You've got a lot of cool games, very different as well. So anything, just kind of close things out that you've learned over the last year, two years of working on these games you'd like to leave listeners with? No, I, I value being around company now after having to spend two years not around them. Uh, <laughs> but I think you were talking about game design. Yeah. Um, I know it's it's a gradual change, right? Like if you compare this interview to one from six years ago, I probably said a lot of things similarly because I'm me, but I probably have a slightly different take on it. I looked at my game Seafall, which I started 11 or 12 years ago. Um and then it came out and I, I finally pulled it out and looked at it. And I'm like, oh, why did I make these decisions, right? Like time does its thing. It's still me. I'm like, this was pretty cool. I forgot this part and I forgot this part, but I don't know why I did that part. And I remember thinking this is important and that wasn't that important. So I'm sure I have a lot of different perspective, but it's like you said, I'm inside the bottle of myself. I can't read the label. <laughs> I tell you what though, man, I'd love to see a second edition of Seafall. I would love to see you go back. And I, and I figured out. spent some time right before day before Gen Con. So over a month ago now, and I went through and redid the whole course system in a couple hours one night. And mm-hmm. I'm like, this is great. And then I've been so busy. I haven't looked at it again, but I can see it working its way to the top of the pile. Yeah, that'd be a cool thing. And I guess it's it's kind of nice because you're not having to start completely over. Hopefully not starting from scratch. And you've got no, a lot of it, the- it's just I mean, the bottom line is I wanted this thing where you had four guilds and each of them were equal and each on their path to victory. But my heart was I love exploration games. So the game actually was an exploration game. And if you picked Explorer's Guild and went into it, you, you tended to do well. Hmm. But I was promising you that all four of them would work, but that's not the game I wanted to make. So my head and my heart weren't really talking. Yeah. And it was my, um, as my wife put it, when uh, the Beatles broke up, George Harrison, who was always very limited to the number of songs you get on them, came up with a triple album, All Things Must Pass the next year. Was every song on that album good? No, but he had a backlog of stuff to get through. I had just left Hasbro. I had 12 or 14 years of ideas that I mm. needed to put in one game. Yeah. They didn't need all to be in that game. They could have been in like five or six games. So, <laughs> yeah. The things you learn just as you, yeah. as you do it, man. But man, taught me how to work small. Taught me how to work small and cleaner. Right. 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 Absolutely. And that's another thing I want creative people in general, especially game designers, just anyone who's or just a business owner, anyone that does anything really is to understand that it's not about success or failure. Like it's, everything is a bridge. Everything is a bridge to something else. And you can't even say, Oh, I'm, I'm only here because of this. Like, no, you're here because of everything. Good, bad, ugly. Otherwise things you don't even remember. Like they all create who you are now in this moment. And to just, 
be okay with that. And sometimes things don't go quite the way you hope, but you learn from it and everything else will hopefully get better. You do. I did risk legacy and I worked hard on it. It came out and it was kind of, it was a success and radical at the time. And I remember starting with Seafall and I said, I don't know what I did right. Mm. Right, right from the first moment, I was like, ah, I was working a little paralyzed. And so this came and then Seafall came. I'm like, I don't know what I did wrong. Mm. Right. Like a lot of people do like it, but it, it didn't find its audience. And why didn't it? Why did his reputation not match what I thought it was going to do? And so I, I just needed a little time and more experience. Now I could be like, oh, I understand both of these games, why people liked them, why they didn't, why it worked, why it didn't. Yeah. yeah. Right. And I've got a second edition of a game coming out soon in my hunted series of solo games mm-hmm. and more people played it, you know, in the first few weeks that it came out than I could have ever had play test it. Oh yeah. I, you know, I and so that's nothing. That. You, you just, you get so much data in the first month that you just, you just that. don't have access to. And so all of a sudden these little things come out and you're like, Oh yeah, I should have done that different. Oh yeah. We wrote the way we wrote that rule makes sense to me, but you know, 15% yep. of other people don't get it at all. It's like, Oh, okay. How do we change that? And so, yeah, I always say this. If you get more playtesting data the first week a game is out, then no matter how much time you spend, all of a sudden you just look on BGG and other things, you go, oh, that's what people think. That's what works. That's what doesn't. And you, there's no other way to do it. Right. It makes you want to design video games because like, oh, we'll just patch it. We'll just fix Like, well, no, it doesn't work that it. way. I got yeah. 5,000 copies of this thing and they all have the same typo. <laughs> it's like, well, yeah. no, that's the way it goes. Well, Rob, this has been excellent, dude. Really appreciate your time. Uh, so we've been talking about these games you got coming out. Anything you want to say about any of those already mentioned or any other games you want to plug and tell yeah. people where to find them? Uh, no, I know I should be plugging stuff, but Restoration Games is where I'm spending a lot of my time, and I still do stuff with some other people. I had a Stranger Things game come out yeah. earlier this summer that did pretty well. I had a D&D game come out that I really liked, didn't do that well. Right, the way. What's that one called? It's called Warriors of Crin. It was it was it was such a cool idea. It was a little bit of a product of pandemic in terms of testing and marketing and stuff like that. Um, How do you spell Crin? K R Y N N is a Dragonlance game. They gotcha. redid the Dragonlance campaign, and Dragonlance is all about war games. And so, what the idea was, you'd be playing, and it still it works. Is uh, you're playing a D&D game and then you're like, oh, and then this battle starts. And then when you come back the next week, instead of playing D&D, you have the board game set up and you put the miniatures on the board and you play my game or I co-designed it with someone and you play out that battle. Ooh. And then depending on how well you do, you it says in the D&D book, like if this battle went A, B or C, these things happen. And then you go back and you play D&D and there's like 12 battles, six of which are integral to the plot. And the other six are sort of pick up you know, if the DM wants to put them in, or you can just play it as a board game and play this 12 battle campaign. Um, I, I think there's some things that happen because again, because of the pandemic, because of just some of the, like where I said, a game becomes a product. I think some of the product things didn't work out as well as I had hoped either because of cost or graphic design, or I wrote the rules poorly. Like there's just some of those things where, but I remember play testing the entire campaign during the Omicron wave, I couldn't have any outside play testers by myself. I was getting up at like five in the morning and solo playing till nine. Like I know the game works, but sometimes it doesn't find its audience for whatever reason. Yeah. And, and just with so much noise in the market as well. Like and who knows so much coming out. Yeah, exactly. Like what other five games came out that did take all the, the oxygen out of the room. And if, if only four of them had come out and you had, a, you could have fit that fifth spot. Like there's so many things, but I like the idea though. Like I like the idea. I fell in love with the idea, but maybe People don't want that. Maybe who play D&D don't want to stop and right. play a board game. Because this is a hybrid. Playing a, it's this hybrid. And I thought this was such a really interesting hybrid. Mm-hmm. And I started my my love of games with D&D. So I wanted to, I have it now. I have a Dungeon Dragons game with my 
name on the cover, but maybe it was a promise that we were speaking to ourselves, not to the the final people. Yeah, or or just haven't quite found the right marketing message for the people for the game, right? Because I I know there's a lot of people that would find a lot of joy, enjoyment in that structure of the board game system for that you know for that chunk of the game, but then the freedom and the flexibility of the other parts of the game, and just to be able to go back and forth because like I used to run D and D for um, high school kids at this school I was teaching at and battle would take so long because it's all this talking and bickering and there's no structure and it's too free form. It's like to just be able to pull out a board game and say, Hey guys, here's the rules. Here's what you can do on a turn. Here are the options. Here's the, you know, go kill that, go rescue this. Right. Yeah. I, I really love the structure. I think it's cool. And then, you know, as these things go, I think that the Dragonlance role-playing book did fine but they're not going to reprint it and this board game did okay at best and they're not going to reprint it so at some point it'll revert and be mine again there you go might take longer than i want and then i'll be like okay let me see if i can redo this mm. and you know why didn't it sell was it Dragonlance? was it the marketing was it the design was it the graphics was it too much too little right you know do that sort of post-mortem and then see if you can reboot it again yeah that's a great way to do it rob again thank you so much for your time all right um really appreciate you just coming on the show and sharing so much wisdom and advice. And I wish you the best, man. I'm again, I'm really excited for some of the stuff you got coming out and, and I'm sure there's things you're working on. You can't talk about that. I'm probably going to be even more excited about So good luck with all those things. I hope so. Yeah. That's awesome. Too. Again, thanks okay. for your time. All right. Thank you.